Good evening and welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio. I am your host for the evening because Drew had to go make money and do real radio hosting things. But I am Thomas Watts. Drew calls me the wizard behind the curtain. I will respond to the wizard. I also respond to beer and whiskey. But we've got another episode of BAMS Radio for you this evening. I'm joined by William Redfish Barger, 1992 champion. And if you don't know all of his other credentials, just listen to another episode because Fish's intro continues to grow as the years go by. So, Fish, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Thomas. How are you? Man, I- I'm great. Y'all let me out of the cage. I can talk about Alabama football. And speaking of, you know, the thing that we love to talk about on this show and what feels like a large part of the orbit of this state, Alabama spring practice continues. And this past Saturday was Alabama's first scrimmage of the spring. They will be having another uh, coaches clinic scrimmage this Saturday. And spoiler, spoiler alert, we may be having a special show to talk about that one. But, you know, keep an eye on the BAMS radio Twitter for that. But like I said, last Saturday was the squad's first scrimmage, gearing up for A-Day in a couple of Saturdays. And I wasn't there, but I happened to talk to a few folks, a few folks that were there, swapping stories, swapping ideas, and have some pretty exciting news coming out of uh, that first scrimmage. And, you know, let, let's just start, you know, brief report from what I've heard that the Alabama defense is going to be good. Now, the astute Bama fan would be like the Alabama fan. has The Alabama defense has been good for about 10 years now, and you would not be wrong. But realize that this group did have some fairly significant questions coming into the spring. An entire new secondary, with the notable exception of Deontay Thompson, grabbing a couple of games in the playoff, and... Then you've got a bunch of linebackers due to injuries that were going to be stalwarts, but you had to replace guys like a Deron Payne, who was a fantastic football player. And again, just based off what I've heard, this defense has looked really solid. They looked really solid this past Saturday. The secondary was able to do a pretty good job shutting down the passing game. Now, if you listen to other folks... The offense did kind of have some fits and spurts. They did a few good things. They did a few bad things. But by and large, I don't think anybody should be wailing or gnashing their teeth about the Alabama secondary. And then we talked about this a little bit last week before the scrimmage, but those comments comments on the Alabama defensive line were really reinforced uh, to me by several people. You know, replacing Deron Payne, obviously a problem. But the first line guys, your Raekwon Davises and your Isaiah Bugs, and your Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams, the guy we spotlighted, spotlighted on this show last week, he had a pretty good streamage from what I understand. Now, some of the second teamers are still going to need some work, and the development depth need was underscored by the addition of Tavita Masika. But I, I don't think it's too much to be upset about there. You know, William, I know we'll talk about the offense because we can't avoid the quarterback situation. I think that's that's going to continue happening and continue to drive me insane. But, you know, I'll just ask you, William, what have you heard about the Alabama defense? You know, who stood out based upon the people that you speak to about these sort of things? You know, again, I think it's probably the, the classic, you know, uh, spring practice report that you would look for, um, Thomas. I mean, 
you know, if you had heard, um, you know, if you weren't there, had somebody that was, and you had heard that, um, you know, the Alabama offense had, had, had thrown up, you know, ridiculous numbers, you know, either in the passing game or the run game, um, you know, that, that's, 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 that's a negative. You know, you, you want to hear in spring practice that the defense is ahead of the offense. And, you know, as somebody that's been through, uh, you know, four spring practice games, you know, I can tell you that that is commonplace. Um, you know, the defense is always going to be, and you want it to hope to be, that the defense is ahead of the offense. And, and you know, they do have some, um, you know, kind of inherent advantages. I mean, you know, uh, offensive coordinators, it doesn't matter who they are, whether it's, you know, Jim McElwain, Doug Nussmeyer, Lane Kiffin, you know, now Mike Loxley. Um, you know, when that offense goes out there, you know, the defense is, you know, taught early and often um, that half the battle is formation recognition. If you can recognize the formation, you know, there's a pretty good chance you can, you know, dissect pretty quickly where the ball's going to go to. Um, but, you know, I, I've kind of heard some of the same things that you have, Thomas. I wasn't there last Saturday. Um, but, you know, you know, again, despite what Nick Saban said, um, we, we can point to uh, some issues maybe on the offensive line. Um, you know, I, I heard that uh, I was told that, you know, Tua Tungvaloa looked pretty sharp, uh, you know, prior to him re-injuring his hand. Um, you know, Najee Harris had some good plays. Um, you know, there, there's so many, you know, weapons there on that offense. But at the same time, you know, the Alabama defense under Tosh LaPoy has some built-in advantages there, um, you know, with, with formation recognition and, and stuff that they see every day in practice. So, you know, again, you, you shouldn't get too excited or too depressed about what you hear, you know, coming out of these scrimmages. Now, what I will say is, is you know, this coming up scrimmage on Saturday, two days from now, you know, that's kind of where you start to see um, some depth chart movement, um, you know, maybe the offense gets caught up. Um, you know, we'll have to see, you know, Saturday from the people that are going to be there. Um, you know, is, is Tua Tungvaloa going to be available after re-injuring his hand last Saturday? Um, you know, for, from, you know, I'll say this, Thomas, from what I was told, um, you know, if you're a Jalen Hurts fan like me, um, and again, I can be a Jalen Hurts fan with the caveat that I think that Tua Tungvaloa is going to sometime win uh, the starting quarterback job, whether it's next week or uh, halfway through September. But, you know, Jalen had a 45-yard touchdown pass, you know, another big explosive 50-yard run. Um, you know, Mac Jones is kind of in the same situation, in my opinion, that Blake Barnett was in, in year two, uh, made some really good plays, but, you know, he has to get his bad plays under control, um, you know, not throw interceptions. And, you know, sometimes that aren't his fault. Um, I know on one play the receiver dropped the ball. But, you know, like we were talking about, Thomas, before we came on the air, this is a very, very talented football team. And, you know, when you walk out of one of those scrimmages, you know, I've walked out of numerous ones over the last, you know, Nick Saban era anyway, thinking, you know, this is the best, 
the best team in college football, um, you know, who's going to beat them? And, you know, I think that's kind of where you and I are both at. Who is going to beat this team? You're, you're absolutely right. And I know that one of the teams that we kind of kicked around in our pre-show was the Clemson Tigers just because of how good their defensive line looks. But that remains to be seen. Uh, I know I'm a big mathematical model guy. You know, astonishingly, the Ph.D. in computers likes math. And I know ESPN's FPI has Clemson ahead of Alabama for that reason. But we'll see how the math, you know, converges as we get closer to the season. You know, there is one point that I want to reinforce and explain to a lot of our listeners that maybe have never had a chance to attend one of these scrimmages. Uh, I've attended several throughout, let's call it the Nick Saban tenure as well. And in many cases, the way these things go is that the offense doesn't keep a quarterback. It's almost like 8 on steroids in that they rotate, the offense rotates quarterbacks either every series or every other series, depending on what the offense is working on at that point in, in that point of play, excuse me. Because of that, I would, I would also take anything you hear from these scrimmages with a grain of salt because you can't really fall into a rhythm as a quarterback when you're coordinating the offense for anywhere from three to 12 plays in a row, and then you chill for 20 to 25. So just just a little bit of, of knowledge, some understanding for fans that may not have ever had the pleasure of attending a scrimmage, just understanding some of what you would see and offering some explanation regarding like how the mechanics of one of these things actually goes. Now, I I do want to hit on, you know, one quick thing because I hammered the secondary a little bit and I'm kind of, kind of using you as a fact check, William. One of the guys that a few of my folks raved about was Savion Smith, the Juco transfer cornerback Uh, to the point that the, it was, the feeling was he's got a cornerback job pretty well sewn up already. What are you hearing about Savion and what he's done as a member of this rebuilt defensive backfield? Well, you know, first of all, I want to talk about that, and then I'm going to get into the dynamics of how, how the spring and fall scrimmages work. Um, they're, they're, they're all still the same than when I was a player. Um, but as far as Savion Smith goes, Thomas, I mean, the, the coaching staff has been very excited about him. Um, you know, he participated in, uh, you know, bowl practice for them. Uh, you know, being a midterm JUCO enrollee, he was allowed to participate in bowl practice back in December. Um, and they're very excited about him. I think that they feel like he is, you know, probably the leader in the clubhouse for – one of those boundary corner positions on the 2018 team. Um, but going back to, uh, you know, the way you described the scrimmage. Now, let me say this, you know, how it was done when I was in school under Gene Stallings and you know, how it progressed with, you know, Mike Dubos, uh, Dennis Franchoni, Mike, uh, Mike Price, Mike Shula, Nick Saban. It's all done the same way. But, but it's, it's really, it, you know, for people that don't get to see it, let me explain to them how it goes. It's, you know, 
ones versus twos, you know, first offense versus second defense, you know, second offense versus first defense for the first part of the scrimmage. Then it's, you know, they, you know, they do special teams, but it's not live. You know, they kick the ball. And then it's, you know, uh, second offense versus first defense. And then, you know, they, they put the, you know, the scrubs out there. It's threes versus threes. You know, then the balls kick, they do that. Then, you know, where I think the, the, the biggest value of the scrimmage is, is once that, you know, alternating is over with, you know, with, with ones versus twos, two versus ones, threes versus threes. Then they go, you know, first team versus best, what I call best on best. Best on best, uh, you know, short yardage, short yardage and goal line, uh, you know, best on best, um, plus what I call plus territory. Um, then it's, you know, best on best. You know, they, they do play a lot of plays best on best. And, uh, you know, that's where jobs are won and lost. It, it, you know, the, 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 you know the, the, the practices that people get to go to, you know, during the week, and they say this and that and the other, um, that's not where a job is won and lost. A job is won and lost on those scrimmages that are out there in Bryant-Denny Stadium. It's no different than, I hate to even say this, Thomas, 30 years ago when I was down there. But that's where jobs are won and lost. And you can't get too excited or too depressed about what you read every day from the media as far as the depth chart is concerned. Um, you, you have to kind of wait and let these scrimmages play out because, you know, Nick Saban is a great coach. And he's not going to put somebody out there against uh, Louisville um, here, you know, later on in September that doesn't earn his spot. And, you know, spring is a little bit different from the standpoint that some of the big people are probably going to be out of shape because they're, they've been in the off-season program and they're trying to get bigger and stronger, and you can't do that without adding weight. Um, but this summer, you know, when Scott Cochran segues into the, you know, getting ready for the season strength and conditioning mode, um, you know, a lot of those people will get that weight peeled off of them. Um, and then we're talking about what's going on in those two scrimmages that they have in August, which I think are the two most critical. Um, that's when you really need to pay attention to the depth chart. Um, you know, Thomas, I, from what you told me about the defensive backs, I, you know, yeah, Savion Smith, I would be shocked if he's not one of the starting cornerbacks come uh, Louisville in September. But to me, I think even more so than that, you know, yeah, they're probably waiting for, you know, guys like Josh Job and uh, Patrick Sertain and Eddie Smith to maybe, you know, factor in maybe at one of those other quarterback spots over there, the other one with Trevon Diggs. But, you know, we're, we're talking about a Alabama depth chart at the safety position that is absolutely loaded with really good players um, with multiple good recruiting classes to back them up. I think, you know, if, you, if you're really worried about the defensive backs, just, just be patient and wait for, um, you know, what Nick Saban and Tosh LaPoy has for you. And uh, I think probably by the end of September, um, you know, two guys back there in the middle of that Alabama defense – uh, Deontay Thompson 
and Xavier McKinney are going to be household names for Alabama fans. Uh, I had heard similar, William. Obviously, Deontay Thompson showed flashes in his two games, the two playoff games. And, you know, before any Alabama fans start wailing and gnashing teeth about the secondary, there is one unit on the Alabama Crimson Tide defense that can cover a multitude of sins as those players grow and play meaningful snaps in critical positions. And that comes with the Alabama pass rush, you know, defensive ends, tackles, and a guy, with a guy like Quinnen Williams, but also your pass rush linebackers, your jack linebackers. And it came out, I believe Terrell Lewis said, in a media me- in meeting with the media, I believe on Monday, that Chris Allen had the most productive, you know, best day in terms of pressure points or pass rushing points or whatever the whatever the currency of awesomeness is in the rush linebacker room. It, you know, William, I've heard some good things in terms of the def- not just the defensive line, but the pass rush stepping up and throwing waves of guys at this rebuilding or kind of figuring itself out Alabama offensive line. And, you know, again, I've been told they had a great scrimmage. What have you heard about guys like Terrell Lewis or Chris Allen or even a guy like Jamie Mosley from this past weekend? Well, Thomas, I'll tell you this. Um, because I've, you know, over the last 30 years, obviously, I've gotten a lot of questions, you know, thrown my way about the 92 defense. And, you know, um, it's probably one of the greatest of all time defenses in college football. And, you know, people have asked me over and over again, you know, just how good was George T? Just how good was Antonio Langham? And, you know, truth be told, those were. You know, George Teague and Antonio Langham were great, you know, defensive backs. But when you've only got 2.5 seconds to throw the football because guys like John Copeland and Eric Curry and, you know, God rest in peace, Jeremy Nunley are getting to the football, um, it's not that hard to play defensive back. And, and I relate this to what you asked me about the question. Um, same thing about what I think about this 2018 defense. You know, there's there's a little bit, I think, of uncertainty there, Thomas. Um, you know, you, you're transitioning from, you know, uh, 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 you know Kirby not being there anymore, uh, you know, Pruitt not being there anymore, and now it's Tosh Lapoy's defense. But they have done such a great job um, in the near term of, of recruiting guys that can be elite edge rushers, um, you know, talking about a guy like Christian Miller or a guy like Terrell Lewis um, that are causing multiple problems for Alabama's offensive tackles. And, and, you know, the two guys that are starting now right now are Jonah Williams and Alex Leatherwood, left tackle, right tackle. Um you know, to me, I think the thing that stood out about that scrimmage last Saturday, Thomas, was if all that was said was that the Alabama offensive line was struggling with blocking Christian Miller and Terrell Lewis, um, you know, that's kind of commonplace in spring practice because, you know, guys have put on weight to get bigger and stronger. They have to do that. 
you know, there, there's no way to get bigger and stronger at any athletic event unless you put on weight. Um, but the thing that really struck out to me was, um, especially talking about Alex Leatherwood, and I think that's a, um, a topic un, unbeknownst to itself that, that really has kind of baffled me. I was not expecting Alex Leatherwood to struggle as early and often as he had um, this spring. But, you know, Alex Leatherwood didn't just struggle with Christian Miller and, and Terrell Lewis. He struggled with, with a couple of guys that you listed, um, you know, with, with Raekwon Davis and Quinnen Williams. And, you know, I, I can tell the listeners out there right now, um, because, you know, I am not a big fan of the star rating system, that, you know, that rates players. Um, you know, I, I think Nick Saban has his own system of rating players. And I'll tell you this, when, when Quinnen Williams was coming out of high school three years ago, the only player that the Alabama coaching staff had rated higher than Quinnen Williams as a five-technique defensive lineman uh, was, was Rashawn Gary, uh, the number one player in the country that signed with Michigan. So that'll give you a little bit of insight into just how good and how much of an upside Quentin Williams has as a defensive lineman for Alabama. So if you're an offensive lineman at Alabama and you're getting beat by that guy, um, you really shouldn't take it home and get depressed about it. He's one of the best five-technique defensive ends in the country. Well, and I kind of – I'm going to pick your offensive lineman brain here, William, because a lot of what is going on or what is the impression I've gotten, again, talking to a bunch of folks and you know coming out of the scrimmage, but also throughout the spring, particularly with the injury to Matt Womack, you know, he's scooting around watching people play right now, is – there's been a lot of cross-training and plugging and playing along the offensive line to not only figure out the best five, but also give offensive linemen a chance to look and get some repetitions at different positions. Aside from the fact that they are going against rush linebackers or defensive tackles or defensive ends that are, at worst, upper echelon college football players— how much, in your mind, comes down to the mix and match sort of, let's call it the churn along the offensive line? How much has that played into this in your mind, William? Well, I'll tell you this, Thomas. You know, one of the, you know, the in vogue things right now on, you know, Alabama websites and the message boards is, and don't get me wrong, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, and I'm, I'm trying to throw a caveat out there so people understand. I am not dinging Alex Leatherwood at all. There is no shame in being a former five-star recruit, and maybe it takes you two or three years into factoring in on the offensive line at a place like Alabama. But, you know, I think this is something, Thomas, that, you know, a lot of people have bought into and that they think that, you know, uh, look, let's be honest here. As long as Jonah Williams is at left tackle at Alabama, Alex Leatherwood's not going to beat him out. Um, And I think one of the biggest surprises to me, Thomas, about spring practice so far now, you know, I'll get another report about this 
uh, day after tomorrow on Saturday. But but I think one of the biggest things to me that that has played out during spring practice is just how much Alex Leatherwood has struggled um, being on that best five on the offensive line. Um, I'll tell you this, um, and, and this is not my opinion. This is pure fact based on how the coaching staff graded him out last year. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of people, you know, last, you know, fall all through the out the year going from, from, from the Florida State game through the Georgia game that felt like Matt Womack was the weak link on that offensive line. But in reality, what he was, um, he, he went through 11 games last year uh, not giving up a sack, and I'm talking about playing against an elite defensive line in Auburn, uh, Clemson. You know, going into the show, Thomas, you were, you were uh, champion that, that Clemson defensive line. He went from the Auburn game, the Clemson game, all the way to the Georgia game, uh, did not give up a sack, graded out the third-best offensive lineman um, on last year's offensive line. So unless Alex Leatherwood can pick it up and, and really um, you know, pull himself together, I don't see a way right now with the way he's performing in the spring that once Matt Womack is 100% recovered from his broken foot, where he's going to beat him out and factor into that starting five against Louisville. Um, once I kind of peel the onion back, Thomas, you know, this goes back to, you know, your strength of, you know, kind of breaking down numbers and, and, and getting into the percentages. You know, Matt Womack was the third highest rated offensive lineman last year. Um, in Tuscaloosa, the only two guys that were better than him were Jonah Williams and, and uh, Bradley Bozeman. Um, and I think what what really should be, you know, kind of championed a little bit, um, you know, when you talk about, you know, DJ Fluker and Austin Shepard and some of the other guys, um, as a first-year SEC starter, um, Thomas, this kind of puts it in perspective. You know, that cat didn't give up a sack in 11 games last year. He was voted the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week two times. And, you know, for all the people that want to sit there on the Internet and say, oh, well, you know, Christ, uh, Jonah Williams got hurt. Well, yeah, he did get hurt, but he was playing with a high ankle sprain before he got aggravated against Georgia. Um, but, you know, he got hurt. You know, Alex Leatherwood came in, and yes, he did. He did an admirable job versus Georgia. But guess what? Matt Womack didn't give up a sack, didn't give up a quarterback pressure against Georgia. Alex Leatherwood did. So let's let that thing play out a little bit. Um, you know, I, I get it. I understand. Um, you know, the guy's six foot six, you know, 325 pounds first guy off the bus, but it wouldn't be the first time that a three-star offensive lineman from the state of Mississippi outshined a five-star um, for Alabama starting lineup. And I'm just telling you, Matt Womack did a very, very good job last year. And to the point where I'm kind of asking questions about why he wasn't given all SEC mentions by the media.
Well, that's because he wasn't a five-star athlete, of course, but your point is well taken. And you brought up a question, you know, mentioning how many fans felt that Matt Womack at right tackle was the quote-unquote weak link. And personally for me, I thought it was the right guard position that really was a negative if you want to pick the worst spot. And again, I'm going to pick your offensive lineman brain here, William. How big a deal is, let's call it mediocre, potentially you know, subpar, not even mediocre, subpar play at a, like a right guard position for a right tackle on along the offensive line. How big a deal is that? And how much of an impact would something like that have? Well, I mean, if you're talking about, um, you know, the starting right guard last year, Lester Cotton, who has been, you know, shifted over to left guard, you know, my response would be this, um, you know, it, it's very difficult. You know, I, I laugh, you know, Thomas, I laugh my ass off all the time every day with, with all these people that, you know, quote and, and, and talk about, you know, pro football focus, you know, giving these guys grades. Listen, you know, Thomas, you and I both know Nick Saban is not sending these guys this information. Unless you have um, the play that's caused, whether or not the quarterback changed the play, whether or not the center changed the protection. Um, for all those people out there that get their nuts off on, on uh, pro football focus grading these guys, but they don't even know what to, you can't do that. Um, so I, I get what you're saying. And, and the only thing um, in my mind, the guy that you're talking about, Lester Cotton, um, you know, he, he, the only thing that keeps him from being in the lead offensive guard in college football is the mental side of college football. And, you know, I kind of see the direction they're going in. I mean, they've got Lester Cotton over there at left guard right now next to Jonah Williams, and you've got uh, Jedrick Wills at right guard and, and Leatherwood right now. But, you know, that, that's a little bit discombobulated for me because I would rather see, um, you know, Cotton at right guard, uh, you know, next to Leatherwood and, you know, Wills maybe next to uh, Jonah at left tackle um, just just for the experience factor. But you got to look at this thing, and it, it's an everyday evaluation for getting the best five guys on the field and, you know, the good thing for Alabama fans is this. Um, they have so many bodies there. You know, guys like, you know, Richie Pettibo, um, that, that everybody in the country wanted. And this guy is, you know, just now after three years in the system, you know, struggling to, you know, surface, um, you know, on the second team. So, you know, it, Thomas, it's an embarrassment of riches. Um, you know, we're sitting here talking about all this stuff. But but I do think, in my mind, you know, the biggest story so far about spring practice is the, the way that Alex Lowell would have struggled at right time. Well, that'll certainly be one of the questions to lead off our Sunday show to see what, you know, I'm sure all three of us will have our ears to the ground to see what's said coming out of that second scrimmage. And uh, 
we might have to lead the show off with that one, but it remains to be seen. It, you know, as we spin towards the end of the show, William, I, I, I want to save quarterbacks till last because, you know, hopefully people will listen to that point because they want to hear our take, even though it shouldn't be a surprise to most. And I, I want to talk about some of the skill position players. You mentioned Najee Harris. I heard that Harris had a good scrimmage. But a guy that actually, I believe, had an AL.com article written about him, and and I've used the phrase several times that uh, Brian Robinson's going to force someone to play him because he's trying, you know, he's he's running hard, doing all the stuff right that you need to do to get on the field for Nick Saban. And in that vein, you know, what have you heard about the running backs, particularly Brian Robinson, throughout the spring? Um, I'll tell you this, um, you know, there, there's, you know, a couple of guys at that running back, uh, depth chart, you know, that, that arguably were, you know, five-star rated players, uh, coming out of high school. Damien Harris was one, uh, Najee Harris was another one. Uh, but I'll tell you this, I know several college football coaches that felt like Brian Robinson was a five-star running back in his own right and you know look we all know uh you know now uh thomas uh you know damian harris is going to be the starter um i think the competition behind him is healthy you know you've got uh Najee harris brian robinson josh jacobs when josh jacobs is available and healthy and i think that's a you know, kind of a separate conversation. Um, you know, he, you know, he, he's kind of the uh, Josh Jacobs, who's what I'm talking about. Is kind of the Brody Coriel of, of the running backs. You know, he's got a bad body; it seems to keep breaking down. Um, he has to recover from one injury after another, and I think that you know has been you know kind of the theme for him um, in the two years he's been in Tuscaloosa, but. Um, I'll tell you this. I think that Damian Harris, Najee Harris, and Brian Robinson, with a healthy Josh Jacobs mixed in as a change of pace running back, um, I'll argue. I'll, I'll argue you till the death that that is not the best running back uh, depth chart in college football. Well, I would agree. Just thinking about the running back groups that we're seeing coming back. I don't think there's anybody that has a top four. I'm sure there's some top fours that are close, but uh, in terms of even just pure star power, that that's up there with some of the best we've seen over the past few years. And, and you know, I, I'm going to bring it up because we are kind of spinning down towards the end of the show. And I want to talk about the quarterbacks. You know, it's the, 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 sh- the, the conversation that will not die until what the maybe the third series of the Louisville game (laughs) if it's if it dies then so buckle up we have another six months of this but you know talking to folks at the scrimmage that a chance to attend and listen in and give their thoughts Tua was on a pitch count and that pitch count was actually cut back because he aggravated his thumb in a just in a scrum for a football that kind of went cattywampus. But when he was out there, the offense was efficient, clicking right along, 
scoring points, and if not scoring points, at least moving the ball with some consistency. But the other two quarterbacks, you know, you mentioned Jalen Hurts had a long run and a long pass, and Mac Jones did some good things, but he also did some bad things. But I heard a lot of the same about Jalen Hurts as well. It wasn't so much that he didn't have wow plays. It's that he'd have a wow play, and then his next time out there, he'd throw behind somebody on a crossing pattern or would lead someone the wrong way and the ball would skip over the turf. Or, you know, Mac Jones would do some of that, but more for him it was he'd get stuck in a bad situation and not bail out of the pocket in time and take a sack. You know, is is this now, I know it's only one scrimmage, but I'm going to pose the question in sort of a leading way, and you can yell at me if you want, Coach Nick Saban, Welt, Redfish, Barger. Is this kind of Tua Tonga-Vailoa's job to lose, given these early returns? Um, let me say this. I mean, I don't think, you know, anybody that has any kind of football IQ more than 70 will, will sit here and tell you that Tua Tonga-Vailoa is, is not the most gifted passer on that football team. Um, you know, at, at the same time, I guess this is where I provide the insight. Um, Nick Saban loves him some Jalen Hurts. And for a lot of reasons, and, and the number one being, um, you know, the guy doesn't turn the ball over. Um, I think what you're going to say, Thomas, as far as you're talking about, you know, the quarterback job going into fall camp, you know, we're, you know, on the tail end here of spring practice, let's talk about it going into fall camp. Um, I think you're going to see, because the schedule dictates this, um, you know, that th- there is no reason for Nick Saban to name a starter um, probably until Texas A&M comes to town, which I think is around September the 20th or the 21st, however the, uh, the, the calendar dictates this. Look, I'm not an idiot. I understand, you know, that that little bastard from Hawaii can throw the football. He can sling it. But um, I think you're going to see Nick Saban slow play this quarterback job out um, all the way into late September because you got to understand the last time he went through this was with Jalen Hurts and Blake Barnett two years ago in 2016, and you saw as soon as that, you know, four-game uh, separation was done, Blake Barnett got got gone. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it happens. I mean, you know, Thomas, I think last Saturday, I think the, the evaluation was, and I agree with it, um, you know, Jalen was Jalen. You know, he, he had that 45-yard touchdown pass. He had that 50-yard run. Um, you know, before Tua got hurt, he was slinging the ball over the place. And I think as Alabama fans, what really people should be more excited about more than anything is the development of, of Mac Jones. Um, you know, I think this guy is, you know, uh, 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 A.J. McCarron with better athletic ability. And, you know, with Tua kind of being – you know, limited and, you know, and on the bench, 
we all know what Jalen Hurts is, but I think, you know, the development of Mac Jones is a big, big story that's really not being talked about. Um, you know, I said uh, this time last year when he was a true freshman um, that I thought he was the best 13 quarterback I'd ever seen, um, at least, you know, since my involvement with Alabama football going all the way back to 1989. But, uh, you know, Thomas, this is the truth. Um, you know, Tua Tungavaloa is the best passer. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts brings some things to the table that I think um, are, you know, game plan worthy for opposing defensive coordinators. But we'll have to see how Nick Saban chooses to incorporate those two things, um, you know, going forward into uh, the fall. But I'll tell you this, um, even Steve uh, Spurrier, you know, one of the greatest offensive minds in college football the last 50 years has said, you know, he wants to see both guys get reps. But I, I don't understand. You know, Thomas, this is what I don't get. Why can't I be or you be a Jalen Hurts fan and say that, you know, hey, uh, you know, I've seen the evidence. You know, he's, you know, Tua is obviously the better passer. But here's what people don't understand. There is a lot more that goes into being a starting quarterback in the SEC than just being a gifted passer. Now, at the same time, and I am trolling a little bit on this show, um, you know, Thomas, I expect uh, Tua Valoa to be named the starting quarterback somewhere between the Louisville game and the Texas A&M game. But guess what happens? Nick Saban doesn't have to do that based on the schedule. And he can slow play this whole thing out, which, you know, he has to do because he doesn't want Jalen Hurts to transfer. Um, but, again, Thomas, I, I think what we're talking about here is, is what everybody wants to hear. Um Who's going to be the, the best team in college football next year? Um, you, you've already touched on it, and, and don't get me wrong. You are not wrong. I think that Clemson defensive line is uh, once in a generational talent. I think it's probably right there around where uh, Ryan Anderson, Jonathan Allen, that team was two years ago at Alabama. But – no doubt about it. But those guys are gifted. There's probably three first-round draft picks on, on Clemson's uh, defensive line. But let me tell you something. Depending how Nick Saban wants to play this thing out, Thomas, let me ask you this. Um, if Nick Saban had started um, to a Tungabailoa versus Georgia in the national championship game last year, um, how, how do you think that final score would have read? Well, if you assume that Tua's production transfers, let's just call it one to one, he would have bingo. Yeah, you, you, he he would have thrown. And I realize this is a stretch, so fans bear with me. He'd have had two interceptions, six touchdowns, and something like four hundred and fifty yards, if memory serves, which is insane. We, we, 
Alabama would have beaten second in Kirby by 20-plus points, and it wouldn't even have been a ball game. Um, but but you keep bringing up and asking me, <laughs> and again, I appreciate you doing that. Um, you know, I'm kind of old school, Thomas. I, I'm still kind of hanging on to the fact that I think Jalen Hurts is um, – you know, kind of a big part of this team going forward. But at the same time, you know, dog, I, I, I've seen all those damn videos. Um, and I, I've seen what Tua can do when he slings the ball. And, and, you know, Thomas, the thing that gets me in more trouble with anybody is um, not talking about Tua Tungvaluwa. Uh, you know, people get me about, you know, they ding me about saying that, you know, his younger brother uh, might be just as good as he is. So, you know, I got that going for him. Well, there is that. And for the record, in terms of the quarterbacks, I can see what two is doing and you have to be impressed by it. But uh, I'm a scientist. And if you assume that Tua got, even upper in 10% of the snaps throughout the season last year, that's a really small sample size to superimpose over an entire season. So that's, that's just the numbers guy, the data scientist in me. And, and I make people roll their eyes when this comes up, when I'm on campus at South Alabama, William. And I'm like, if you tried to tell me that 10% of your data means you're going to get a hundred percent accuracy, I would throw your paper out so fast. You couldn't even blink. And I kind of have the same attitude uh, hey, here. <laughs> hey, Thomas, here, here, here's the real true Hollywood football story on how things work. Um, a starting job is not earned based on two quarters. Um, and I think that's where a lot of Alabama fans have struggled. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa did not win the Alabama starting quarterback job based on the second half that he had, which was so epic and, and all that other stuff, um, you, don't earn a, you don't earn a starting job based on two quarters of football. In the same way that Alex Leatherwood, um, did he do a great job in relief of Jonah Williams at left tackle? Yes, he did. Um, now, you know, two is hurt. You know, he's got that broken, you know, bone in his hand. Um, you know, a lot of people are, you know, scratching their heads trying to figure out why Alex Leatherwood, you know, is getting dinged. And, I, you know, I'm being one of the guys that are dinging him because I think he has kind of struggled out of the gate as, as an offensive tackle. But, you know, Thomas Lewis, to be honest here, I fully expect at some point in time next fall for Tua Tungavaloa to win that quarterback job. But I think the bigger story is, um, you know, you know, Alabama fans seem to always fall in love with the shiny object. And to me, um, you know, the, the, the big shiny object that is not proving production um, on the football field this spring is Alex Leatherwood. And, again, the people I talk to have agreed he is not – he, he is struggling to a surprising amount. And with that in mind, William, as we close out this show, I've got one more question, and then I promise I'll let you go to do, you know, whatever else. But let, let's, let's play the what-if game. 
So it is Sunday noonish. People you know have gone to the second scrimmage, had a chance to sort of digest it, and have, you know, your text messages light up, and there are discussions aplenty. And you have one question you can ask these discussions. You know, what's the one thing you're really looking at this weekend to see if anything has changed from the first scrimmage to the second, William? You know, for me, I mean, uh, you know, I, I would kind of parlay it over Thomas into, you know, the kicking game. Um, you know, it, it, is Bull of us really available and, and, you know, ready to be the guy? Or is, you know, the, the grad transfer from Temple, you know, going to be the guy that comes into the, uh, you know, the kicking game? You know, Thomas, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when, when you – when you're a fan and you're playing for, um, you know, a team like Alabama, um, you know, who the starting quarterback is, who the starting right tackle is, isn't really that big of a deal. But you're going to have, you know, two or three games a year, um, every year in my opinion in the SEC, that you need somebody to come in and, you know, make a chip, you know, chip shot field goal. Uh, to me, I think the, you know, the, the outline question is, um, do you have confidence in Joseph Belovis, or is this, you know, kid from Temple going to have to come in and be the kicker? And, and I'm glad you said that, William, because if you didn't, that was what I was going to pick. So uh, great minds think alike. That that that's what I'm going to take away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Good, but. Uh, that's going to be it for this show. I think we're running a little short, but that's okay. There will be, uh, like I said at the beginning, we will have a second show on Sunday, try and do a quick turnaround to get uh, get our listeners some insight before we go through the media scrum that will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of kind of dribbling out information. So keep an eye on the BAM's Twitter account for that. I'll be, the second we get it done, I'll be chopping it up and posting it. But uh, that's it for this episode of BAMS Radio. Big thank you to William Redfish Barger. William, thanks for coming on with me tonight and talking a little ball. I always appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Oh, absolutely. But uh, that's it for this episode. Look for us on Sunday. Have a uh, great rest of your week and a safe weekend. And roll tide.